Okay, now I want to say hi to all the Destiny Churches watching live. This is the last Sunday in the month, which they just tune in once a month to the, um, I guess, the uh, headquarters or the, the home base and to me so that they've all come. That's Christchurch with Pastor Derek and Rena. Gold Coast, Sam and Kitty. Now they, they get up at 8 o'clock in the morning to get to their service, so they're watching in Australia. Hamilton, Pastor John Alley, Rotorua, Riri and Davina, Wellington, Pastor Hika, and Epi Fakatane, Pastor Andre and Wahi. I'm glad it's all written down, I might miss somebody out. Whangarei, Pastor Robbie and Kiona, plus our Iwi Tapu tribes, uh, they are all watching, and there's a new one being added again, that's Morinsville. So, there's a few now going all over the place, and we are actually raising uh, also Freedom Connect groups. So it's kind of like living a schizophrenic life. <laughs> I'm a religious person, I guess, and then over here I'm a, I'm a secular man, is it? I'm not really secular. I'm in the world, and I'm not of it. And that's what I'm talking about today, actually. The, um, you know, Monday night, thank you, team, unless you want to stand. You can if you want, but... Uh, It'll be a long time. Thank you very much. Give a hand for our great group. Um, also, a big hello to all our visitors online. There's people watching from all sorts of other places, um, staying at home, uh, from another church maybe. Um, you're all welcome. And someone that's in need, I want to pray for you as well. All right, I've called this message this morning, The Da, da Destroyers. The Destroyers. Destroyers. You might be thinking, is that in the Bible? Actually, I was surprised when I went and had a look at the concordance for the Bible, and I thought I might just find that word once where I found it, but destroy appears quite a bit. So it looks like God likes destroying things. <laughs> you came along today for a peaceful, quiet message. Oh, Brian, why did you? No, don't worry, it's got some peace and quiet and healing in it, right? But it's all about destroying so I got that out of Monday night, Rick, as you were saying in your um, do. I, I, it's time restraints. Maybe it's different from Monday to Sunday. But um, I did start off by talking about those scriptures in 1 John, and that's where we're going to go, to Jeremiah 1 John. <clears throat> so you can get comfortable. Don't sleep too much, though. And um, get your ears and heart alive and ready. Fantastic. Love you all. You're just so great, Destiny. I love I love this movement. It's a church that survived all sorts of assaults and attacks. Somebody said to me, oh, you know, what they've been doing to all these churches and they've been investigating. I said, well, you know, they said they'll probably come for destiny too and um, some exes. And I shot back and said, what do you mean come for us? They've been coming for us for the last 15 years. <laughs> so I'm like, what's new? Anyway, Father, thank you for this beautiful people. We thank you, Lord, for raising up such a church as this at this time and for this time. I pray, God, that you bless every hearer, every watcher, every person that gets this second and third uh, time around by social media or viewing it later on. I pray they'll be blessed because today you will find out something that is hidden inside again that massive potential that you have within. It's called the ministry of destroying. 
And it may be the answer to why you're not getting healed, why you're not getting ahead in your job or your business, and the reason why your family seems to be always going five steps forward, but ten backwards. So tune in. We've got the answers for you. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right. One John. No, I'm going from, yeah, one John. He who sins is of the devil. Well, not the best start, is it? <laughs> is that the right scripture? Must be. Yeah. He who sins is almost is of the devil. This is in one John chapter three. For the devil, three verse eight. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose was God, the Son of God, was manifested. Wow. Okay. So we'll get the rest of it and why he was manifested. That's pretty big. I thought it was big um, when I was in Monday night, but I, I had enough. We had enough about what I was talking about, and this was next. So this is what's coming today. For this purpose, the Son of God, or God, was manifested. Now, when you see the word manifested in Scripture, it basically means taking something that hasn't been seen or can't be seen and is revealed. So what is invisible is now made visible. It's, it's seen, touchable, relatable, feelable, understandable. You understand? So, so now um, God is saying, I was a God invisible, but now in your day I should be visible. Oh, this is good. It's already, we're already preaching here. So if you've been worshipping a God and passing on invisibility, that has, that's old that belongs to the law or religion, tradition, um, or just plain misunderstood. Disinformation. Okay. There's a raucous element in this church today. It's down to my, you're right. It's great having raucousness and cheer and happiness. But some people are serious. They're thinking. They're watching. You know, so... So here you have manifesting. So God is saying he was manifested for a reason. He, he, what was unknown is now known. What is invisible. I'm just getting this clear. Some people are actually not only worshipping an invisible God, they're actually passing on to their kids invisibility. And, and what this verse says to us now, when it's manifested, that means what was formerly invisible is now visible. What you didn't understand, you should know now, right? So he's saying he was manifested. He, he came into manifestation. That's why this relates to us. That's that word there, manifested. Romans chapter 8, verse 18 19. Now, what, what you're going through, your trouble, your suffering, ah, doesn't compare with what actually you got inside of you. That, Im that imprisoned splendor called glory. There's something in you. Everybody's got it. If you've allowed Christ to come in and reactivate and energize your dormant spirit through sin, anesthetized, knocked out on the canvas by sin, but the moment Christ, well, you, he touches your life and you let him in, you get up off the mat, you're energized in your spirit, and you come alive, right? And so that's what it's saying, that with Christ coming is the mystery, Christ in you, the hope 
Help me preach. I'm giving you a chance of glory. Yeah. That's what we're talking about, that stuff there. We're talking about something that is concealed behind your flesh. Now must be revealed through your flesh. Oh, that's great. So it's going to say now that he might destroy the works of the devil. So it is actually in another way coming back to you. It says that if you don't understand what I'm going to share with you briefly next, you cannot destroy the works of the devil. Now let me explain here quickly before we go on. It does not ask us to destroy Satan or devils. Because that's not your job to destroy the devil or Satan. Jesus Christ himself will do that. And that's in his time in the end times. He's going to destroy Satan and devil. You can't destroy demons. So when we say slaying demons, that's just a, that's a good saying. We've got it in the song here. I'm going to be a devil slayer. You won't even hear that language in straight Christians, right? They don't even know what demons are, some of them. <laughs> right, I'm just being honest. So, when you say slaying demons, it's great saying that. It gives a boost to the rooster, you know, but that rooster often falls over, you know, because big talk, um, not connected to, you know, big action and big faith and big walking, then they're soon on the ground asking for counselling. So when you say, I'm, I'm a devil slayer, make sure you are. And I'm going to tell you something else to help you along out. So you shouldn't be saying that too often. You're just not qualified there. You're not in that space to be saying, I'm slaying demons. You know, um, is it right? Maybe, maybe the church has been misguided in saying that you have, we have power over the enemy, but you can't kill them. You can't kill demons. You don't have that authority to do that. In other words, they won't go away. But what he does say is you can destroy what can be seen. His works. We can destroy the deeds of the devil. Do you understand now what I'm saying about God being spirit, but then how he must be manifested? Meaning what was not known should be known. What was invisible must be made visible. Otherwise, it is not integral. It is not valid. It's actually disqualified and it can be said false. There's a lot of Christianity that's lived by promoting an invisible God. That is also a, a it's rude, very discourteous to God himself who died, uh, became, sorry, became a, a human, went through the whole process of death, was raised from the dead and then to the highest place in the ascension, he was glorified and exalted. It is an offense to God that you would be living an invisible Christianity. And, and why, what I mean by that is it's not just totally works. We'll get to that in a moment. It's about making God visible and understandable, touchable, feelable, hearable, and knowable. If I'm not walking and talking like him, you know, going about being and doing, that was the problem with the carpenter, uh, the carpenter's son, Jesus Christ. Joseph was his human um, uh, dad. So when Jesus was going around, 
doing all he was doing, you have to understand that it was his human life that they actually met and touched. But the whole process of, of God was through Jesus, the body was getting God to be manifested in the material world. And now I, I've been here before, but of course I'm repeating that because you won't get it the first 50 times. And this is not, a, this is not an assault on your intelligence, no. No, this, look, there's churches and institutions, theological institutions and theologians and pastors and teachers who still haven't got this basic revelation. And not only if they, if they have got it, it is not passed on very well. There is not many churches with the strength of this revelation. And that's why we will survive pandemics, plagues, storms, earthquakes. You'll survive the attacks of governments and the enemy if you have this revelation. Just going to church and worshipping and singing songs, but being culturized by the secular world, that church will go down quicker than anything. That's why churches were tested during the pandemic. God allowed the pandemic to come for a lot of reasons, but one of the bigger reasons for his desire was to test the global church all around the world that lost its way, weakened its message and had not taught people properly. I mean, who would, as a true minister or leader of the people of God, would actually take a mandate to divide their church and segregate them, whom they have been worshipping, giving to, attending your church leader, and then you divide them and say, you can't come in here because it's based on a vaccine, a vaccine over God. A vaccine over intimacy and friendship. You've been with me for five, five days. I wouldn't treat you like that. But you've been with a leader in a church movement for over five years. I'm talking about some 15 and 20. And you would stand at the door with people telling them that and they're in the choir or they, they're a part of the youth ministry or they're a part of the church's vital um, services and now they're told after serving there for many years you can no longer come to the main service at 10 o'clock because you don't have a vaccine pass. So you can go to the inferior second class church service which is held in the afternoon at 3. The only thing worse than that minister who should have been sacked and that church closed was that poor person who was a member of that church who would have accepted that and did it. Now that ain't mercy and love. Because you're part of a system and institution that's been devilized. You know what I'm saying? And that's why I'm talking about this, this here today. You have to destroy for you to win back health is not to go in there in the three o'clock service, which is inferior, and then classifying you as somebody who is lower, messing with your self-image, messing with your self-belief, putting stress on you, and making you go out angry while they're happy about evil. And why should you be the righteous one, go out mixed up and angry? Do you get me? You don't. That's why I'd stand there if I was supposed to say, oh no, I might be segregating you guys away from me. And that would be a big loss. I'm a big win for you guys. So if you've, you've mandated me out to a lesser service at three in the afternoon or whatever, and 10 o'clock your, your vaccinated service is the main one, tells me it is, 10 o'clock. 
you should have put the vaccinated ones at three. And kept us unvaccinated at the main service. But see, see what that is? That's making you lesser. You're a lesser. Okay, it's hard to, but I had to involve this, I have to say it. Right? Now, what's worse is that when it's all changed, that these people come back again, and the church says, no, we're all back together again. <laughs> and I'm putting this out clearly in case you want to just take out this part of my message and send it to your Christian friends who were mandated and gone back to the same church. You made a foolish mistake in reinforcing something that God is not in. Could you ever imagine on your worst day that Jesus would divide, would separate people who, who I mean, I'm talking about sinners. That's why he spent more time with drunkards and tax, evil tax collectors and whores and, and guys who were horrible and violent and out of the way. He spent more time with them than he did the religious people. In fact, he said to the religious people, you are serpent snakes. And he even said to Matthew, and your daddy was a snake. You did. I'm only giving you scripture today. Don't get angry at me. It's, it's, it's just worthless air. Because it ain't me, is it? I'm going to go and have a great lunch soon and do a whole lot of other good things. Go on and get angry. I'm stress-free. I'm living in not stress, but rest. You know, you understand what I'm saying? So this here, he's saying, and God is bringing this back very clearly, that probably many of us unintentionally are probably doing more building of the devil's work than actually God's work. And so when he is saying that you are to destroy the works, what are the works? So the devil won't be seen. Like sometimes it takes time for people to work out your, your fruit or your works, your, what you're doing, you know, the doing. And the doings are affected by the being. And who I am. And what I am affects what I do. So if I am building God's business, then it's obvious to people. <laughs> if, they, if you have to f- try and figure out, is Brian a believer? Is he a Christian? That's why you should be hated. Course, I'm a role model for how to get hated. But nobody would figure that that's the way to actually have more credits with God. The things that man are highly esteemed amongst men are an abomination to God. I quoted you a scripture that Jesus Himself, those things that are highly esteemed by you, people, men, right, are an abomination to God. What man highly esteems is the opposite. So really, early the piece it shows you how, how out of whack Christianity was in this country. Not only because the people in this country are allowed to get away with, with all sorts of sin and all sorts of compromise because there was a weak church, you see. They, and, and you've got to understand it from this perspective that when, when Jesus is, is living his life right with God, he's hated by most people. And the order is Christian families who are not of the same faith as you, 
the religious people hated Jesus more than anybody. And then it goes out to the people, general speaking, who made them feel bad about not being believers. And that's why Jesus said, you, you hate me because the light came and the truth, but you did not like the truth, so you hate me to kill me. And your Christianity should be closer because most people are not believing where you work or where you have uh, interaction during the week. Then they should be disliking you first because of your faith. But I'm not saying about people who are living um, wrong or uh, unwisely and you can handle a new Christian being unwise. But they should learn quick if they're in the right place in the right house okay so you don't want to dampen somebody's enthusiasm and dampen their their um, confidence and boldness but at the same time it's got to be mixed with wisdom and being teachable and being smart to listen and watch other successful role models in the house of God or your leaders as Paul said follow me if you want to make it look at somebody who's well down the road has done it then go back to the point where you're at. So you're not at my point yet. So no use you trying to drive around in certain vehicles and having certain houses at my level. No use you trying to have the same accolades and the same doors opening just because your name is there. You've got to earn your way there. Like a guy came up behind me, he was in line at the um, service station and I was going hunting in the morning early. He saw me and I obviously knew he'd come behind me and I knew he was eyeing me up and waiting to say something and he did. He turned around and he says, oh, where are you going, fishing? And I said, no. And he said, oh, people like me and you, like the people like you got an armchair life like me. Um, I said, hold on a moment. How do you know I've got an armchair life? You don't know what I've been through. And there's two other people around who just sort of, yeah, you know. And he said, I don't know your life, but I'm not saying that you've got an armchair life. So why are you saying that? Because what I heard, so you heard about my blessings? but not my sufferings. You, you, you are more interested in the new dress I got, the new car I have, the new suit I'm wearing, the promotion. Now I've got my own house and it's a good looking house. I used to rent, now you're seeing that. And so you're saying, or you're putting down my success and my blessing, but you don't know between those places of going from an ordinary sort of broken down little mini minor to having my Mercedes Benz today. From living in a flat, paying everybody else to succeed in life through rent, I now own my own home. But you saw me down in the projects in the back of South Auckland. Well, now I'm living in Remiura. They've got a nice, but that's a place that I own and rent out now. You haven't seen my real house. So, you know what? Why do people think that you can't have better or bigger or nicer? Do you want your little baby when it comes out and before you learns your ways, bad ways, and your child grows up, would you want your child to be battered, beaten, filled with meth methamphetamine, drunk as, raped, 
mistreated or ill-treated your daughter or your son to go into the life of gangs or to do things and spend time in jail? Is that the, is that the type of future you want for your child? No, no parent. I don't even believe parents who've got children like that wanted that for their kids. It's funny to me how wrapped up in your own dysfunction that in the time that your kids need you in your formative years, you have not given them what they need to succeed beyond where you were at that time. And sometimes you're still wrapped up in trying to unwrap you that they also miss out what they should have got at that age that you didn't get. And so by default, you're almost penalizing your children because you're not yet healed or you didn't have it. You know what, at your age, I didn't have that. If I did that, Sam wouldn't be pastoring on the Gold Coast today, having his own home and having children that are far more advanced than we ever were. We never had that. And if I judged or sort of passed on my level of childhood or where he is in life, that, you know, you'd be lucky what you got. It's kind of like really punishing them because you didn't have it because you don't have it today. There's still no level of heart to be able to understand, do you want your children to have, be penalised? That's why we have kids ram raiding shops. At the, this is off my topic totally. Well, it is a part of it actually. Ram raiding shops and all that, so they're 12-year-old criminals. So there's a new breed of criminal. But it really isn't a new breed of criminal. It's matching the degeneration and the breakdown of where it all starts and all ends is at the home. Now, I want to tell you something, because New Zealanders are really bad for this, and I'm pretty much guessing that the world is. They don't like to talk about family. They don't like family as being the, the foundation of education. They don't like family as being the foundation of health. They don't like foundation the foundation of politics but they'll use other words to give a meaning of a distorted family. Inclusive families, but they're distorted families. Families, family dysfunction, they try to heal on one side, but it's not actually, it's hidden on another side. So in other words, if I'm turning up to be your next prime minister, it's not your business about my private life. What Clark's doing doesn't matter. What Helen Clark's you know, marriage of convenience and whoever he was doesn't matter. They did all those things because there was a little bit of a little bit of morality in some people, but it's dead now. And nobody cares about anybody's private world except for a preacher. You're worried about what I'm doing, you're worried about if I take somebody's money off a shelf for five bucks, it'll be in the paper tomorrow. But oh no, politicians are drinking and smoking, doing cocaine, some of them, and you're mucking around with women and you don't even nobody cares. But if I'm caught coming out of a wrong shop, it'll be in headlines. And they say, Well, you're so called doing righteousness. No, I'm trying to live good. I'm not perfect. That's why I've said nothing about any individuals in church judgment. It's not for me to do. It's not right. I should judge any other pastor. I'll talk about though ways and culture in the church and what I just did. But I won't say names unless it's really necessary. Like he's coming to shoot me or something. 
I say his name so I can identify him. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? So, maybe you need to understand this, and this could be a bit of light of revelation. We're having continued problems even though we're praying and you're binding up the devil and, and you're coming against Satan and you're rebuking him, but we're not actually destroying his works because the damage is not coming directly from somebody who you know is behind it. It's coming through wherever he's manifesting that in the world. And that's why I talked about the invisible God should be visible because you have another invisible God, the God of this world is lesser, of course, who's also working in the same realm. He's not visible, but he's got to be made visible by certain things that he would do to eliminate Christians. For instance, global, the word global, you know what globalism is? Globalism in the hands of people that have got it with the wrong spirit. So they've got an a antichrist spirit working globalist, right? Globalism is Baalism. Baal is one of the chief false gods in scriptures that constantly the people of God were warring with. Baal was a very powerful, demonic, okay? God represented in works. So Baalism, B-A-L, Baal, is behind globalism. Glo-Baal, B-A. G-Glo-Baal. May Baal glow at this time. <laughs> so Baalism is opposed to the manifestation of the great I am. That is very good. But it is true, actually. I've done my homework. Not out of Google or anybody else. That's original out of Revelation. Now, does that make it any less than not true? <laughs> Gee. Oh, I feel doubt in the room. Why would not revelation be higher than information? If you want to walk in revelation, you better quit walking in tradition, in religion, restrictions, rules, and regulations that you've got from your ancestors or from some funny person you've just met in recent times. Gosh, I can't understand some people. All right, get back to the subject, Mr. Tamaki. <laughs> Give that man a clap. <laughs> no, no, it's all right. I'm just doing go to Go to my next scripture, please. I think it's in Jeremiah chapter 1. We're talking about, I'll, I'll, in the minute, just give you something really good. Um, no, the next scripture after that wasn't. Was, was it? On John? Was Jeremiah? Yes, the Jeremiah do. Thank you. Jeremiah. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before. Man, you've got a lot to be proud about. 
Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. So you weren't just a, well, I'm not even going to say the word accident, that's not right. You weren't just kind of like a happenstance through sexual union and biological union between your father and your mother. Before you were formed, he knew you. So if you weren't formed in your mother's womb, and it had already, been ta- it had already taken place that you were now conceived, you were already pre-planned and preordained by God. That's why I so hate abortion. And Jacinda got big claps for two big things that she brought into the world at Harvard. I think thousands. That doesn't all go well for the future academics and intellects that are coming into politics, into science, into all sorts of big jobs that will influence us. They clapped and cheered because she said, taking guns off the people, taking weapons, you know, all this sort of stuff. And the next one was my great abortion law. And they yelled and screamed and clapped and I, wow, as universities are shrines for Molech. Molech is the God in scripture of baby sacrifices. And don't forget our government has got the most extreme abortion law in the world. It's about 15 points and it gets ugly as you go down. How could you do that to what God is saying? I actually wanted you to be born. So I formed you. Before you were formed, I knew you. So I formed you and how you were going to be in the world. I got you here for one reason. Not just to eat, live, and like driving around your car, having family, but you've got something to do. You've got something to do. The only reason God is considering protecting you over time is because you're, you're valid to be used for this work. If you stop that and replace the mission with something else, you do stand to have an earlier death. I, it's my duty to inform you. Caleb came to, to, um, uh, Mo, uh, sorry, to Joshua and said to his contemporary at the time, he said, listen, he said, I'm now 80 years old. And I, hey, listen to this, I'm, a, I'm still as good as I was back then when I was 40. I love this for everybody who thinks age is a factor, it's all over. <clears throat> you're only as old as you think. You're not as old as your skin, you're as old as you think. I don't care, I'll keep acting my age, which is in my head. Caleb said, I'm as good, I'm still as young as, and I'm still got the energies I had when I was 40 and now I'm 80. He says, I've been kept alive. God has kept me 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 alive. He is keeping you alive. Because I have not finished yet claiming what all my children, my grandchildren and my great-grandchildren have as a heritage and a legacy. I have not got that for them yet. See, that's what I was saying before, parents. You might not have had the same roll through from your parents. In fact, we got ugly from them, maybe. 
We didn't get the inheritance. We're talking about inheritance? How many of us have got a whole big bank account swelling with money waiting for us from daddy and mummy? How many of us got houses and boats and cars and jobs and businesses and, you know, uh, all sorts of other things? I mean, that's people say, oh, that's not, yeah, you need that to live. Things like love, faith, and hope, that's what we give. That's the greatest treasure to pass on, to pass on your spirit in Christ. So he's saying, I have not got what my kids deserve that I didn't get. And I'm going to fight well and truly into my 80s and my 90s, he did. Because God will keep you young for the purpose. And so he said, he even demands to Mo, uh, Joshua, his, he's now leading him, and they were contemporaries, and Caleb was a faithful man. He was faithful to his equal brother to lead him. That's humility. I don't find a lot of people can do that. Struggling now to get people to take um, a higher road for a higher purpose, you know. Why don't we all just gather around this person and let them lead? And they all say, no, I want to be the leader of my thing. No, I want to be the leader of my thing. No, I want to be the leader of my thing. So you've got 10 leaders together. And there's no Indians. There's no servants. And so here's a Brian Tamaki quote flogged off a major well-known quote. <laughs> Divided, we cannot succeed. To, to, together, divide in unity. In unity. What's? The, let's go back. Can you please squash that? I've just lost myself for a moment. Divided we stand. United. Sorry. United we stand. Divided we fall. Get it right. <laughs> I've been thinking too much about this thing. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Thank you. So, united we stand, divided we fall. I put united we succeed, divided we fail. It's the same thing. But what we're saying is that there has to be some yielding. And, and the greatness really, while Joshua was the leader, the one who yielded had huge benefits that I can see through and read that Joshua didn't get as much as Caleb. Yeah. So Caleb said, I got my mountain. And I got the country over here, and it was all filled with gold and iron ore and all the stuff that the blessing that the earth holds within it. He said, Now give me my blessing, uh, that mountain. I'm ready to destroy the enemy and move in. And they'd been destroying the enemy all their lives. So, really, destroying the works of the enemy precedes those big blessings that seem to elude many Christians. Jeremiah, before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. Just move on a bit. Then I said, ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot see. I, I've always cannot speak from youth. I've always been intrigued by this. Then I said, ah, this is a good day. Ah, Lord God. Why didn't he say, Lord God? He said, ah. It's, it's kind of like a, an expression of, of deep, you know, I, I'm telling you, it's a frustration, but, you know, it's protected me. I'm glad, but I'm sad. You know, ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak. I mean, you can hear him, for I'm a youth. So he's saying, I can't speak. I, I probably want to, but then it's protected me from actually 
doing the call. Doing more than is required of me. I, I can understand why, if I look out to here today, how many people are doing just enough? And when you find yourself getting a little bit of stress pain, hurt pain, overwork pain, and then we, we usually put, build a fence. And we build a wall. Because that's far as I can go. And we can even justify the walls and the fences. I've got family. I'm working during the day. And I, I understand that. But did you know you don't know how how flexible and how stretchable and how far you can go like a, an elastic band that you can be stretched from here to the doorway and not snap. <laughs> but you're just getting stretched to here and you're going, oh, you don't understand, I've got three kids and I can't go to church. Yeah, well, that's the difference, you see. You build a wall and suddenly... You've explained away a massive part of your life that's needful to going into levels of greatness. Often the difference I saw between Hannah and I and the other young couples is we turned up to the night meeting with our kids and they didn't. And I was getting up earlier than them and I was getting home later than them. And they only did one church thing because their businesses and their jobs and whatever they're doing were more important. So... They said, well, I, I can't, I'm tied up, I'm full. Me, everything that was going, I was putting my hand up for. And yet I was working the longest hours, and I was, I was juggling 50 plates in the air at, at any one time. These guys just did once. Now I'm going to say, I don't know your, your, your view, your perspective of that. It's cool, but God has one perspective. I'll serve you, Lord, as soon as I got and buried um, my father, he died. He says, what have I got to do with that? Let the dead bury the dead. It sounds pretty cold and callous. But you only worked that out because you want to make it cold and callous to, to excuse you. Am I right? I got some land I just brought and I got to go and plow it. And, you know, he said, well, what have I got to do with the land and plowing? Go and do it. But I'll see you later. Hold on, I'm going to get married even. Didn't he say that? I got a wife waiting for me. He said, what have I got to do with your marriage? This sounds pretty brutal. But if Jesus was lenient and just went along with what you wanted and all of them wanted to do, and we're delaying God, work your marriage around Jesus. Plow your land on another day when the outreach is not on. Work the tonguey in funeral around it. You can't do that. Yeah, I, I will. I told my dad and mum, if it falls on an important day, I'll swing things around or I'll go. I'll make it happen. I don't care what you think of me. The dead are gone. My dad loves me. My mum loves me. So who's getting offended here? My parents are not offended. They love me. They're gone anyway. They're not here. And even if they were here, I'd say, I've told them. So who's getting offended? You? I don't know you. And if I do know you, why are you getting offended about somebody's dead and gone and that I've decided not to be there for half the time I've gone somewhere? I should not turn up just to shock the world. Not everybody go crazy. That's not good. No, that's not nice. Why? It was my parents. I had a great loving relationship with them and still have. 
So why are you all upset? So I go and attend the funeral. He didn't even take the funeral. He didn't even attend. He didn't turn up. I'm not, look at you always saying like, oh my God, where's this going? <laughs> I can feel it. But I'm giving you a, a, you tussle in your thoughts about this because that's the difference between me and you. Why I'm where I am. I'm not saying I'm in a better place than you. I'm just saying I'm probably in a closer place in God, with God than you. And you may be trying to do things perfect and right. I probably haven't, but I'm still in a better place. Because it's not really what you're doing that pleases God. It's that faith. That faith that goes further than anybody else, is deeper than anybody else, and wider than anybody else. That faith gets the rewards and the response. So he's saying, that's why that's come out of ah. That's what the R is. It's the R of frustration. It's an R of, you know, I can't speak. So he's given excuse of why he should be put in positions and places that's embarrassing. You're going to force my lifestyle to change? Oh, come on, somebody. I must be, I must be talking to somebody today. You're going to make me change my whole world because... You want me to speak for you to public, but I can't speak. Ah! Lucky this is God's word. If it's mine, I'd have been killed and hung ages ago. So do you see what he's saying? Look, I, I can't speak. And it could be true, because I couldn't either. <laughs> you don't believe, people wouldn't believe this. I was not a speaker. I still have trouble. Look at what I did before. I couldn't say a major quote that I know off by heart for years and I stumbled over it. But I don't care because I know I'm ordained by God and I'm doing the right thing by speaking. So to me, I'm the greatest speaker in the world in my own head. That's important, it's in my own head. Now, if that's not so, that's everybody else's opinion. You've got somebody else's a better speaker. That's true for you. But for me in my world, I'm the greatest speaker I've ever heard. Hallelujah. <laughs> I love this. I'm really patting myself on the back today. I'm encouraging myself. I'm, I'm doing it for me. I'm cheering me. That's my business. I'm only letting it out of my head. But you didn't know I'm doing that. And then you say, you do well and you're, you're doing good. I'm doing good because of what I just said to you that you wouldn't have known unless I told you. Don't worry, there's plenty of bubble poppers and, and you know, things around the corner that'll level you and humiliate you, but you can't fear it. Who dares wins? Watch out for people who try and keep you down. I used to practice little things like that when I was early in life, you know? Things like when they'd ask you, and I told you the other day, how are you doing? I would never let myself go below okay. Okay is like a really bad day because nothing great happens on the okay level. How are you? Good. All right, okay, that's just a little above okay, which is the level of nothing great is going to happen. So if you just say good, good thanks, means that you too are not expecting much to happen. You haven't even primed yourself for something to happen. What's above good? You could say, fantastic. That's getting somewhere now. How are you? Fantastic. 
Because of, wow, why? Because someone might stop to ask now, how, when you say, how are you? Nobody really wants to stop and be concerned about if you said, well, I'm not too good today, thanks. Oh, okay, they'll hide. So I'm not going to get involved in your messy business. I always say great is the lowest. Okay, I don't get there. I never say okay, really. I move from that. When somebody says, how are you? It's usually great. Well, how are you going, Brian? Beautiful. And they always get a smile and look. And they, they, it's because they think that they expect that from me. Why me and not you? Because in that mode, I, I believe it, but I, I'm believing that at that level, I'm expecting greater to happen. People used to go away and they say, oh, great, having lunch together. Take care. And I used to say, take a risk. <laughs> People who take care never get anywhere. <laughs> they don't. And you might, it sounds mellow. We, we, you just go through it because nobody's alert. I'm always alert to things that could possibly make me less than what I could be. And I'm always wanting to stretch the elastic band right to the door. And you don't go when somebody says, take care. And you go, okay, we will. <laughs> so, so now you're in the car, you're frightened, and the kids are in cotton wool, and you're in cotton wool. No, don't do that. Don't say that. Don't pay that. Don't go there. There's no risk. Because you're being conditioned yourself. Take care. Take care. <laughs> but you'll never get anywhere taking care. Faith is more closely related to risk than it is to care. Love might be more related to care, but faith says I'm more related to risk. Of course you have care because I have love. But I also have faith, so I take risk. Right. Okay, let's, let's go. We'll get you out of here soon. I haven't even started preaching. But the Lord said to me, do not say I'm of youth, for you shall go to all whom I send you. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. Oh, I can tell you right now, that is a frustrating verse. Frustrating. Go back to it, please, Jen. Go back to that one. Go back to that verse. Do not say I'm a youth, for you shall go. To all to whom I send you, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Now, I, I've read Josh, uh, Jeremiah. That's a book you guys don't read much. You just read chapter one. That's the goodie. Yeah, he formed me and knew me, and you know, and you're like the one where it says, and called and ordained me. So, but you get into the guts of his life. Poor guy was put in stocks. He was embarrassed in the market square where he was, they threw crap at him, and rotten stuff. Um, he even had to, he had to do some horrible things. Horrible things he had to go through for God. At one stage there he said, I, ha I am just over this. Serving you is darn dangerous. It's horrible. It's tough. It's troublesome. I get, I get mocked. People hate me. They chuck stuff at me. I'm set up in the town square naked in stocks. It might scare a few of the boys off. And he said, I got to the point where I said, no more. 
I'm not serving you. I'm not going to where you tell me to speak. I'm not standing up anymore. I'm going back to my business and my job, having a normal life. God didn't say anything. But do you know what his response was after he finished? You know, you've got to have some time of venting with God. As long as the sun doesn't go on it. He said, but I can't help it. Because the word of God is like fire in my bones. And if, if it's shut up in my bones, and if I don't preach, if I don't go to where he sent me, if I don't serve him, I will literally blow up. That's incredible, isn't it? But I'm telling you right now, church, it's tough. Whatever I command you, to, you shall speak. That's embarrassing. Um, what's the time? What's the next? What's the next verse? What's the next verse? Put the next verse up. Verse eight. Is that it there, is it? Verse 9. The next verse, go to 10, say. I can't see it, I don't, I just remember. Verse, what's verse 10? That's the one. See, I've this day set you over the nations. Oh, <laughs> you really, you want big from God. It's big rewards, believe me. Should be, well, will be. Uh, I have this day set you over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out, to pull down, to destroy, to throw down. And then you got the last two, it's kind of like, oh, oh, build and plant, okay. How much of the church is raised on the build and plant, but we never get the others? You might be saying, but that's the Old Testament. <laughs> Don't you make me go what Jesus <laughs> said, right? So to root out, to pull down, to destroy and to throw down. He's talking about the fact is that if you want to build and plant properly, you've got to pull down, you've got to root up, you've got to destroy. And that's why the Apostle John says you've got to destroy the works of the enemy. When you're destroying the works of the enemy, you, you can't change anything unless you're in it. Let's come down here. Give me another five. You cannot change anything unless you're in it. And one of the things that Jesus said very clearly was, you are to be effectors. You are the salt of the earth and you're the light of the world. Right? Now, to do that, you have to understand that there has to be a humanizing of the divine. Otherwise, it just doesn't fit. And this is where we've had the separation of church and state, secular and sacred. This is where the church has been lulled into a, de a demonic uh, doctrine that we shouldn't be involved, say, in politics. It's the biggest lie that you'll ever hear. One of the major confrontations and conversations that was in the Bible is in John chapter 8, when Jesus was faced by Pontius Pilate himself. Now, Jesus' escalation or his progression to finally getting killed started with the religious people. So it was other religious people who felt that his doctrine 
was demonic. So they set about trying to undermine him, whispering, uh, criticizing his church. It happens today, right? So they did that. That's what they did. The second thing it escalated to from the jealousy of religious people, it went to the people, just general haters, because you've graduated and you survived the beating from your brothers. This is good. You want to listen to this. So you survive what your family tried to do to stop you from progressing any further in your high court. So now haters come out of the general population because now you've been talked about enough to be known. When you get to the point, you don't have to tell people you're a Christian because they know you are. You don't look at me and say, oh, they just all know you. Nobody knew me when I started. It was actually quite good, you know. I was taking tithes, offering and all sorts. Nobody cared. And I had eight people. I could have been taking them off, that, trying to fulfill their false prophecy, taking money off people then. I could have done all sorts of wacky teaching. Nobody cared because it was us four and no more. But the moment you all started following, people around the country started listening, then the demons working in those who were setting up their works and their powers started to fight me because you're a threat to bringing Christ, you see. And that's what happens. You start the fight, increases the hate. Now it graduates from that. Then it went to political power. So that's the, that's the process. It'll always start from close by to you. And you get a knock and someone says, oh, you go to that Destiny Church and next thing you're out. So you haven't even got to to the end of stage one, let alone the middle. And so, you, you know, you're running around. Don't worry, God's still watching you. He just assigns an angel to run away, you know, Harry. Because if he turns, he's still got a way back. The angel's watching, but the angel says, oh, do I have to have that job? I want to be with Brian and them. They've got action going. I want to go with this bit and creep to the pub and clubs. and Anyway. So what happens is he got to the point where political powers intervene. So you notice it went from, from family, close-knit people, religious people, your belief, then it graduated to the populace. Now media was involved with the people, the Gentiles they were called. Gentiles were all those who were just the common sinners and also the Jews, they were believers. And word got out about them. So he's, the, he's the media of their day. The media of their day was there. Word got out about them. Doesn't matter about the devices, the mechanisms are different from today, but the same ways. They were discrediting and poisoning everybody else's minds against them. Once they cannot, once people know, family members and that, know that they can no longer influence you wrong, they will poison people around you. They will poison other people that are your friends or the employer or workmates or somebody else. They poison them. Now the fight changes. You withstood a family member. You withstood some fellow Christians in another church and you still stand strong and suddenly they can't get you. So that demon works now to poison the minds of those who are key people in your life. And sometimes not key people in your life, they'll poison just the, uh, uh, those that you don't know. So then when they say something about you, 
you are absolutely hurt and cut in your heart that strangers would reject you or gossip about you. Do you understand what I'm saying? That graduate, Jesus got through it all pretty good. He got through all of that horribleness and nastiness. Now he arrives before Pontius Pilate. And, and these Jews and everybody now wanted to kill him. So now what was before him, he knew his purpose. He had to go the way that everybody got confused about. You put the analogies to your own life. I put them to mine. When I stood, I wanted to lead the protest movements all the way through because I had a plan. See, I had a plan. Remember I told you God got me in the morning and said, my plans are not yours and my ways are not yours, Brian. My ways are far higher than your puny plan. And I know you, Brian. <laughs> yeah. So I knew, yes, I understand, but I didn't. But then when I first, when the stuff came from the charges, because the top cops were, didn't, were not going to arrest me. Isn't that amazing that people don't really want to do you harm, but it's somebody else above them with a bigger devil that causes your fate to be sealed? Yes. And so that, you thought it was good with them, and suddenly someone comes in their ear and says, no, you weren't going to arrest them, were you, Andy? And No, they weren't. But this political power spoke to them and said, arrest them. So that's what happened. Then something begins to go in another direction. So now I'm heading for the judicial system. Whereas I wanted to head in front every protest to lead it to a massive, not the one that was there, it would have been bigger and better. So I thought. But God said, no, you're going this way. Because there are plans. This way here, you will still have the same perceptions about you. Because your success is not what they're looking for. They're looking for how far you would go for them. Would you be charged unjustly? Look, the victim, so it's all about perception. So Brian Tamakin is known as a person who basically is really up as, he's a narcissist, proud, thinks he's untouchable, invincible, says all these things and is leading people down the garden path for that as well, making them all feel they're somebody. That's what they thought of me. So God takes me the judicial way, so it's humbling. The humilia humiliation of appearing before court and I'm told to shut up and I can't say a thing. I end up in prison. I believe you, me. I might have said, let's get arrested. That's just inflated wind talk. <laughs> That's just gusto to get some of you interested. <laughs> There's more to me than meets the eye. You what you think I'm doing, I'm not. <laughs> Good and bad. So let's get arrested, but I went home. I said, I don't want to go to jail. I don't want to be in prison. I do not want to be in prison. I may have to go to prison, everybody. And I would do that for you. <laughs> you go home and say, I don't want to go to prison. <laughs> I don't, not my will, but thy will be done, Lord. Jesus said, I don't want to die on the cross. Is it possible for another way? God just turned his back. My plan's higher than yours, my son. So he said, oh, not my will. <laughs> oh, gee. 
but your will be done. See how painful it can be in serving God? Don't think you're going to get the miserable, low-level blessings of having food, cost of living. Food everywhere. House. Clothing. Shelter, you know, all that. What's going to happen tomorrow? Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow. He said, don't worry about a house. Don't worry about clothing. Look at the birds, he says. They eat and they're plump and fat. In fact, they've got problems with sparrows being too big. They can't get off the ground. <laughs> they're flapping their wings. Oh, my God. Imagine the little obese sparrow coming out. Oh, my God, I've got to go on a diet. You fellows are throwing pies and donuts on the road and KFC bits and pieces and all sorts of bread and stuff you chuck out of your car windows, let alone the rubbish dump that's full of it. And not one of them prayed, not one of them even begged for food, not one of them got worried. That's why Jesus used the sparrow. Because you're so stressed about your not getting a house, so you start devising the plans, and therein is the mistake. How I'm going to financially do this. Don't you worry, honey. I've got all our stuff set. We'll get the big house and the big car and the big job and the beach and the travel around the world. That's backside around face. I didn't look to go for a world trip first. I was in a dingy little wee hall with five or six or maybe ten at the start, Fano, who didn't care about the big mission and call, slugging it out, paying what miserly money I had left over from paying the rent in our little cottage or house we had, Hannah and I, and trying to convince them I'm here to take the world, and they didn't even care. And so they shouldn't because they're more concerned about where am I going to get my next ride from? And I haven't got a house to live in. That's where you started. I would never have thought, slugging it out with people that I thought were never going to help me do this call you got me to do, God. Your call is actually quite bad. Bad for my image. Bad for my life. It is bad for my pride. It was. You don't go to your rugby team and say, I'm a Christian. Now walk away. You don't go to the hoo-hoos where I was working and say, hi, brothers, I'm praying for you. <laughs> they, would, they said to me, what are you up to, Brian? We know you're up to something. What are you arranging outside of what we know? You don't start going on your world trip first. You start by wanting to do God's call. And that's why I said, seek ye first. You can finish it off for me. The kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. I know it's long past my time, I know. And you're wondering, no, no, I'm not doing that so you make me say I go further. It's just what I say is useful. In the last two minutes of that five, I said. Which one am I going to pluck? The one I was on. They brought him to Pilate. Pilate, and as I said before, did not want to kill Jesus. No way. He didn't even want him arrested. Those cops, like I said, didn't want me arrested. But here comes the political power. Now, 
I, I can't go too long because this is so important to every person that's hearing me. If you think politics doesn't belong in your headspace, then you need to be rethinking about that because it so influences your life, it has so much power over your, my children and your children and our grandchildren, and it has a lot to do with the state of education, of health, and to prove it, we had to get ten, two and a half years of absolute carnage, damage, and control from the government for the political powers. It shows you how much a politi a pa um, politics can hurt you. How, how much power politics has in the end over your money that you work so hard for. Taxing and changing laws and control. You see, I think this is a lesson more for the sons of God than actually the world itself and the pandemic. God knows he's in control of it. He can stop it. So I, I believe it's important you hear this. Pilate said, you know, what has this man done? Why should I be judging him? And, they, and then the raucous crowd, you know, the voice of people just said, no, this guy, he's, he's, um, he's committed treason. And that got Pilate. He said, what do you mean? Well, he's not just a healer and feeding people when they're hungry and preaching good sermons. He's political. And Pilate said, I don't think so. Because religion's separated. We've done that job on them. So the church has got right out of the business of making laws and, and, and social and health, which we'd all started with God and social and health and, and education started with God, by the way, not secularism is the imposter, and they hijacked it. So he turned around and he said, yeah, he's political. He, uh, he's, he, he's a president. He's a prime minister. He's into politics. And Pilate said, no, it can't be. So he comes to him and he says to Jesus, are you a king? See, prophet, apostle, healer, teacher, Messiah, you know, um, the Christ, all of the big things. You can have all of those. He can even set up something out there called a different group of people, but he can't be political. That's one thing we do not want you to touch is being political and being involved in politics. So he says, I'll fix this up because this man, I've heard him teach to the poor and to the broken and he went out to those who were outcasts. So I know he's got a real Christian heart. I know he's got this right because these sort of people separate church and state. They believe we should not be involved in politics. So he goes to Jesus and he uses the word king because that's political. Because they got a king already. His name is Caesar. So the religious people and the Jews knew this and they said, he is coming against totally in competition and opposition to Caesar for we only have one prime minister, one president, one government. Now Jesus already knows from Isaiah that the government eventually shall be upon his shoulders. So even I think the apostles in the Christian church would have expected for Jesus to say, no, I'm not a king. I'm a humble servant serving the God of heaven, Yahweh. So are you political? That's the question. Jesus answered and said, you rightly say, you say rightly that I am a king. So 
He's, he's saying, I'm not going to actually deny so the church will know what's coming. I'm not going to deny it. And he says, yes. And for this cause I was born. For the reason I was born was to be a political power, but of a different nature. And he said, for this cause I've come into the world that I should be a witness to the truth. And everyone who is of this truth hears my voice. So he's, quick, he's saying, that's why I'm here. I've been born. And it's a, so the only power that can actually put Jesus on the most important event in human history called the cross and the death of Christ was politics. Religion couldn't do it. The haters couldn't do it. Family members and others couldn't do it. In the end, it was the decision to be made by political powers. See the power they have? But also the power they don't have? Because Jesus knew, you're going to give the decision to kill me. Only because my father has brought the influence upon the highest level of power in man's world. God still could change and influence their heart. So he didn't want to kill Jesus. He even went back to them, I find no wrong in this man. Then they come back with the treason thing. No, he's a political power. That's the threat. That got him. Pilate bent on that. We can't have somebody who's got a rising up, who's got a following, that's going to now, he's political. He was political from the start. Remember who was threatened by his birth? Who was threatened by his birth? Herod, King Herod. Because they said there's another political power coming into the earth. Another king. All right. But look at this. He comes and he says, well, okay, I'm going to go whatever. You want him killed? He's got the reason now that's treason. Caesar's the only power. You said that you're a political power, Jesus. Sorry, mate. So he turns him over to the people. He hands him back. And Pilate does one thing. You notice he hammers an inscription on his cross. And he said, here is the king of the Jews. And what did the religious people and others say? No. Take that off. Religion and politics don't mix. And Pilate said, I'm leaving it on the cross. He's a, he's a political force and power. That's it. You wanted me to kill him because of politics, so that's what's on there. So here is the king of the Jews. He wasn't a king crown. He was a political power, and that's the relationship or the connection of the inscription on the cross of the death of Jesus before it happened. He was, he was actually opening the door right there for the sons of God and for the kingdom of God to ultimately have all other kingdoms folded into it. <clears throat> have you heard my interference recently in the Tauranga by-election? Have you? Have you? Have is any of my church ever wondered what is he doing? Because I did too. One morning I woke up and I I was happily getting on with my life. I got no interest in the by-election in Tauranga. And then a voice came and says, I want you to get into that. And I said, what do you mean get into that? 
we've got no candidates. And I'm, hey, they've got 12 candidates. And I don't, I'm not interested. No other, no other voice. No trying to convince me. I knew it was him. And I knew what to do. This is an opportunity to get New Zealand back. This is an opportunity to see democracy restored back to the people. I've been working away behind the scenes in my dual role. See, people know me as apostle, as preacher, as church leader, as Destiny Church. But I'm also a person. And my name is Brian. And I'm, I'm a father and a husband. And I'm a grandfather and great-grandfather. I'm a hunter and a fisher. I'm a writer. I write books. I'm also, of many things that I can do, with all sorts of outlets and things. And so there's many multiple things that I can do outside being a preacher, you know, and a church man and a religious person and whatever. So the crossing over into affecting politics has been interesting because I've had to tell people, don't call me apostle in front of those who don't understand. Call me Brian. It's interesting that because the respect from so many of the Destiny Church people would say, I can't say Brian, but that's who I am. So the title, you know, people outside the church don't understand what apostle is, or bishop, and I don't want to get into that. And they see destiny church is one thing, but Brian and Hannah, two people who care for other people, they see that. So now, at a point in time, because God took me that way through the judicial system, they cannot... They cannot equate how we've heard from the media what he does and what we've experienced from them both out here. If you want to change the world, you've got to be in the thing you're going to change. You can't stand on one side and say, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong, and not be involved in their world. I can't change politics if I'm not in politics. I cannot change the sporting arena unless I'm in the sporting arena. I cannot change business unless I'm in the business. We cannot change whoever's in the, you know, whatever it is. That's where you need to go. He said more and anointed more, I'm sending you rather than come. Come to church? He said, I'm sending you. Now go ye therefore into all the world. This is a part of getting our country back, it's, but that's what the call is on my life. And I'm like Jeremiah. I, sometimes it's these, I had to see four different political parties yesterday, uh, Friday, sitting through that. That's, that's a challenge for me because what am I, I mean, you try and plan, what am I going to say? What am I going to do? And how come they all came? Who am I? What political parties cross talk and try and get what I could? United we stand, divided we fall. I'm trying to unite for the best of our country, people who have the same common goals. We have more, we unite on more than we do as being separated. Yeah, it's like, and you know, late nights, traveling, figuring it out, doing a message doing Monday night, which is tomorrow night, then Tuesday and the next Wednesday, we have a big meeting over there in Tauranga for the people of Tauranga. We're giving back to the people of Tauranga what this political power took away from us in two and a half years. 
our freedoms, our rights, but our democracy. So I'm putting the hands back in the power of the people, empowering them to say, well, what do you want? And who do you want? Why should we be told by parties, vote the party, and the person's not going to represent them? So what your apostle's doing and what your friend Brian is doing, and a great mate, is traveling and sleepless. So I just I run off the road once, <laughs> so tired, and having to deal with different people and different groups, and as well as running the church. And I, I told you about the elastic because that's what I'm going through. And you think it's going to snap. And I, I ought to just kind of get back and what most of you are saying, just preach the gospel, Bishop, you know. And over here, Brian, we need you. Thank you for coming in our lives. I felt better. You saved my life. The Freedom and Rights Coalition saved my life. And they're, they're, what do you mean, so have you received Jesus? No, I haven't received Jesus. It saved my life. All over the country, I'm meeting people who are not you. I, I'm meeting down in South Island. I've got meetings down there when I go soon. Christchurch, Invercargill, um, Wanaka, Omaru, and Pastor Derek's doing a fantastic job there. He's hearing this now, unless they're all gone home. So sometimes you have to just go a bit long to get it out. But the support all over the country is, is getting connect groups. These are people who are not destiny. And they probably don't want to be destiny at the moment. They don't have to be destiny. They do have to get saved, though. So we go in there, and God that we know here, and we're free about sharing here, has to come through our flesh, our body. And I'll finish now, walk out. Philippians, I'm going the right way. Philippians, Philippians chapter 1, quickly, Jen. Philippians chapter oh, I can see that. I can see where I've got to go. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 19 and 20. And the Apostle Paul, for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply. I love this. The supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Quickly, verse 20. According to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness as always, so now also Christ, this is it here, Christ will be magnified, not of my spirit, not of my mind, not of my soul, in my body, whether by life or by death, the difference between whether you are walking on the right side of the translated or the right interpretation of the Christ before the death and resurrection and the Christ after. Because that Christ after, to be validated, and it says that the Antichrist spirit is those spirits that do not think that God has to come through the flesh again in these days. The only true Jesus Christ and the true God that you're in touch with is measured out in 1 John uh, chapter 3 where it says he's the Antichrist spirit, the spirit that just says that Jesus does not come into the flesh or through the flesh. So the, you haven't humanized the divine God. So what I walk, how I walk and talk in those meetings, one-on-one -on -one with unbelievers, how I carry myself, how I talk, what I do is going to make the difference in changing people's lives. They're getting God authenticated because he's made visible, touchable, feelable, 
and I'll come back to the beginning of my message. He's understandable and he's knowable. Because I felt it through that person, that person, that person, you, 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 you. I don't want your religion. Do not force me to go to your church. Don't tell me to come to Man Up or Legacy yet. Don't force me to try and have a prayer with you yet. I want to see who you are. So Wednesday night, I don't particularly need you to all turn up, please. <laughs> we don't want to crowd the place out because it's Tauranga. But if you have friends in Tauranga and you come with them, that's valid. If you've got family, cousins or a friend there, please, Wednesday night, the 1st of June, um, you'll get the details somewhere if you scratch around and be online. Just get them there because the actual online media is going to be huge. God has a plan, which Brian Tamaki has, and maybe some of it's mine, Lord. Cut it out, please, quickly, if it is. I want yours. But there is something going where it will be the first acts of democracy. There will actually be a people's poll, and this is all before the actual election day. And the people are going to be able to choose who they think that should be in there, not who politicians and leaders of big parties say. And definitely not always, we've always been blue, national, or we've always been red. That's got to stop. Now, if that's boring to you all and, this shouldn't, and you think this is not right, go and have a good lunch, but have a good think about it. Okay. Magnify, that means make it even more larger. Christ is my hands, Christ is my feet, Christ is my mind, Christ is in my eyes, Christ is in my mouth, Christ is in my words. I'm actually the living, you are the living. That's the manifestation of what God is. So when I get you, what am I getting? An angry God? A meth-smoking God? Cussing God? A ha God, a poor God, a poverty-stricken mindset God, a rude God, or am I getting a wow God? I like that person God. Oh yeah, they prayed and healing for me after we talked. And I, or the God that says, I'll help you. I'll do that for you. I'll get the dinner. I'll pay for it. Come with me. I'll help you. I'll do this for you. And thinking like that, that's the God it's expressed for us. Amen. In Jesus' name, get up and get out. Come on. He's gone too. You fellas go stop keeping me too long. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus. Lord, we ask right now that you flush out any religion, flush out any, any complacency. Complacency, no. Casualness, no. I want to be a part of what's happening, Lord. I, I put my hand up now and say, in Jesus' name, I am ready to activate the next level of stretching. I understand there's going to be some decisions. There's going to be some talking. But it ain't no battle. It is not no competition. You win, Lord. And I want to do it your way, not my way. Father, in Jesus' name, bless every person here, every listener, every watcher, I pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. If you don't know Jesus, come on up to the front right now and I'm going to pray for you quickly.